today we're going to keep going in our First Peter series. In fact, it's the end of First Peter. We've been in First Peter for a while, and we're going to get to First Peter in just a moment. But I'm going to give you a little intro because I want you to understand uh, what Peter was thinking and what he was what he was going through. And we're going to get to the point where we're going to talk about exactly why Peter wrote the letter of First Peter. And I'm sure it wasn't called First Peter when he sent it. He didn't send the letter. Go. This is my first letter to you. Um, he sent a letter that God felt was one that was obviously God-ordained and God-breathed and was included in the canon of Scripture. And now we study it, we look at it, and it was sent to churches in the province of Asia. And we, you know, we, we've gone through all that. Cappadocia, Bithynia, there's a number of churches. And we'll get to that. But here's the thing about Peter's writing, is he's writing to the church, preparing it for suffering. And I know that's never something we want to talk about. But Peter knew the church was going to experience suffering. So he was trying to get them ready for that. Think about suffering for the follower of Jesus. It should strengthen our faith. Suffering should serve the purpose of strengthening our faith. Now, I know that there's some thought that that shouldn't be the case. And, but I'm just telling you that if you look at what takes place in the New Testament, you look at what happened in the early church... When they suffered, they rejoiced. I don't. I don't. I don't rejoice when I suffer. It's just not what, you know, I whine when I suffer, right? I mean, it's just like, ah, why me? But we should rejoice in the midst of suffering, persecution for the sake of Christ. It should bring joy. It should help us know that Jesus is real and that God is with us. And that's the effect it had on the early church. And I want to start in Acts chapter 5 for a moment just to kind of lead us through this. But all kinds of things were happening in the early church. And here it is, Acts chapter 5 verse 12. It says, The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one dared to join them. Even though all the people had a high regard for them, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Now, I just want you to think about this for just a moment. Okay, if that happens in America today, somebody's taking credit for it. If they're in charge, they may have nothing to do with it, but they're going to take credit. Like if something really good happens in our country, right? Oh, it's it's all because of my leadership. It was not the case in the first century. We see here that the high priests, the officials, the Sadducees are like, we're filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then... He told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. The religious leaders get together, and they get together in the morning, and and they sent for the apostles. They're expecting them to be in jail. They were not in jail. And eventually a guy comes and gives them a report that says, hey, look, those guys you arrested last night, they're in the temple preaching right now. So they went and arrested them again and told the apostles to stop preaching about Jesus, which, of course, they responded to and said, we can't do that. We have to obey God. Sorry, we're going to preach Jesus. 
And when they told them that, and when they had told them some more about Jesus and how they killed them and that whole thing, the Sanhedrin wanted to kill the apostles. Well, one guy on the Sanhedrin named Gamaliel gave this advice. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Now, that's a pretty quick statement, but they were basically beaten. Um, That's not real good. Then they ordered them to never again speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Peter understood that. Peter Peter recognized this. Peter had gone through this. And all that they had experienced, all that they had suffered, served the purposes of God. Now you have to understand that that Acts chapter 5 probably takes place at least 20 years earlier than what we're going to read in 1 Peter. And and Peter's sending that letter. Remember, Peter wrote this letter about AD 60. Okay, so it's about 60 AD that he writes the letter. Jesus was crucified uh, about 30, 33, somewhere in that ballpark. And so we know that at least, because the, the apostles are still gathering in, in Jerusalem. There's not really been the persecution. It scattered them around the, around the known world at that point. And so at least 20 years has transpired. It could be upwards of 30. But all that they had gone through in that time frame, Peter had never forgotten. And whole provinces had heard the message of Jesus. All of Jerusalem had heard the message of Jesus. So at this point in Peter's life, he writes this letter to the churches of the provinces of Asia. And we're about to see why he wrote it in his own words. In 1 Peter 5.12, it says, I've written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing this is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. And I know it doesn't say that there, but that's actually right, and then we'll go back to that. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. Peter wrote this letter with the help of Silas. It appears that Silas, after the letter was written, is the guy who actually delivers the letter to the first church it goes to. Maybe he carries it to all of them. We don't know. But we know he, he took it to the first church. And this is the same Silas that was with Paul, that traveled with them, and now Peter considers a faithful brother. Peter now explains his purpose for writing. Peter's purpose in writing was to encourage the believers in the churches. I suspect that Peter knew the end of his life was coming. I I, I suspect that Peter knew what was going on, and Peter could see that, you know, he's getting older, but also that things are not looking so good in, in Rome, and he finds himself in Rome, and he writes this letter to fulfill the purposes of God in his life. And the question that brings to me and for all of us is, what is your purpose in life? What's your life's purpose? I submit to you that every one of us was made to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. Look, we gave away backpacks yesterday, right? And we already talked about that. I'm not sure how much those backpacks and school supplies would have cost if we had to go out and buy all the stuff. And, and somewhere along the road, somebody bought every bit of it. Like, 
like you either gave or you went out and purchased or whatever. But my guess is at least $6,000. Could be upwards of $10,000. If we spent $30 in school supplies, it's $6,000. If it's $50 in school supplies, Dawn, you can probably tell me, right? I mean, it's, am I right? 30, 50, what, what do we, I'm not being crazy, right? School teacher, you're going to see some of them because some of the kids are from your school. But think about that. So, so that's what happened. We gave away those, that things. Why did we do that? Just because we want to give that piece away. Just because kids need to go to school? Yeah, sort of. But the reason we did it is because we want people in this city and around these neighborhoods to know that there are people in this town who love them. And they're loved by God. Peter writes this letter with a purpose. He writes this letter to encourage the people. We did the backpacks because we wanted to let our community know that there are people who are in the community who care and want to bring encouragement to the discouraged. You should have seen the eyes of people light up just in the midst of the realization that they have been given a backpack that had almost everything they needed for the school supply list that the kids were going through. We purposely did it. I mean, we went down the list and tried to buy everything we could. I, I, I did come to a conclusion dry erase markers are really expensive. <laughs> but I thanked them for coming. And I just watched the interaction of people that volunteered. The, the, the love and care and compassion that was shown to the people that were coming in the doors. And, and they were treated with honor and respect. And I'm just telling you, that makes Jesus happy. Okay, there's just no question in my mind that when we do those kind of things, whether whatever we're doing is in ministry and encouragement, it's powerful. Look, one of the summit talks was by John Maxwell. John Maxwell's just crazy, cool leadership guy that it just, he's always, I've remembered things that he's done, some things I've heard him talk about just for years, probably back in the early 90s. I heard stuff, just he's just an incredible guy. Well, he challenged his own grandkids. And what makes me think of this is, is you know, watching a five-year-old girl open a door. In fact, at one point, she's like, come out my door. And I'm like, okay, but you got to let me in the other door. And so I come out the door and go back in. And so as she's doing that, it's reminding me of, of, of Maxwell's talk and about his grandkids. And one of his grandsons, he challenged him, look, when you go through this day today, I want you to add value into people's lives. Well, so what's his grandson do? His nine-year-old grandson, he talks to him on the phone that night, and he says, Grandpa, Grandpa. I opened 43 doors today, and I greeted every person. How hard was that? It wasn't hard, but what it did is it brought value to people's lives. And what I'm saying is, Peter writes this letter because he's trying to encourage people to stand firm in the midst of difficulty. Because he knows it's not going to be easy. And he's saying, look, you need encouragement. And you know what? The church needs encouragement, just like Peter wrote. But you know what else needs encouragement? Our community needs encouragement. The people around us need to experience the love of Jesus. Look, I want to challenge you. Can you add value to people's lives? Can you bring encouragement into people's lives today? Like when you walk out of here, wherever you go, is there some way, somehow, you can add some value to somebody's life? You can bring some encouragement like Peter was doing to the church. Could you add encouragement into what's going on? In your world. What, what amount of time can it take to add encouragement into people's lives? 
to add value in their lives. Look, I, I guarantee you that Peter did not accidentally write this letter. Okay, he sat down with a purpose. He sat down to be guided by the Holy Spirit to, to send a letter. And, and letters were the way they communicated. And you and I, we communicate in a lot of different ways. But I'm just asking you, would you take the time, would you take the effort to add value into people's lives and to encourage them? Whether they're believers or unbelievers, and those two things are going to be slightly different, but, but we're all trying to do the same thing, present Jesus to people. I realize that Peter wrote this letter in a culture and a time when a letter was read at one location and then sent on to another location. But the words of that letter were designed to impact the people long after the reading stopped. And I have a, just a little guess that, that if we'll find ways to add value and encouragement into people's lives, the words that we use, the words that we share, will ring loud in their ears long after those words are stopped spoken. It, it, your words will be powerful in the people's lives, and you'll bring encouragement to them. I believe that followers of Jesus ought to be encouraging people every single day. I know, I know, it's one of the gifts of the Spirit, and if you got it, man, you're amazing. If you don't have the gift of encouragement, I don't care. You need to be encouragers to people, all right? That's what followers of Jesus ought to be doing, helping people know there are people who care for them. Think about your words. What is the purpose of your words? If you were to write a letter today, to the people that mean the most to you, what would you say? If you knew you had a very little time left in your life, what would you say to those people that are closest to you? What would you like for people to know? Peter wanted the people to know that what they were experiencing and what they were about to experience was part of God's grace to them. God was in the midst of everything they were experiencing. And he was giving them the grace to walk through it. Often in our culture today, we, we believe that God is with us when things are going well. The early church did not share that illusion. They had faith to know that God was with them always in good times and in tough times. And they trusted him. The reason Peter wrote this letter was once again to remind Christ followers, that God was with them even when they questioned, even when they doubted, he was there. And everyone goes through those moments of doubt and question. It's in those moments that I bring myself back to what I know. I remember I once was a hurting, struggling teenager didn't have much value in their own life. And I met Jesus and it changed everything. I recognized his grace and his goodness and how he brought meaning and purpose to my life. I go back to the basics of the Christian faith. When everything around me seems crazy, I remember and think about the life that Jesus lived. How time and history have been marked by the life of Christ. I think about the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. I wasn't there. I know, but I spent time reading those who were eyewitnesses to those events. 
of Jesus' life. I take comfort in the fact that there is less debate about the words of the Bible than there are about the words of Shakespeare. I remember the prophecies of the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled and realized the chances of one person fulfilling all those events in one lifetime is astronomical, and it has to be God. Like Jesus being born in Bethlehem, Micah prophesied that. Zechariah predicted that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And I remember that he would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver and his hands and his feet would be pierced. The predictions by God's prophets all came true. 100% accuracy. Biblical prophecy makes one of the strongest arguments for the truth of God's word. Consider this. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies about the Messiah that were recorded in the Old Testament. The chances of one man fulfilling all 48 major prophecies, according to uh, Peter Stoner in Science Speaks, is 1 to 10 to the 157th power. Okay, now I'm going to show you that number because that number is like ridiculous. Where's the number? There's the number. Okay, I can't get to that number. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, I'm like, okay, thousands, millions, millions, trillions, quadrillions, quintillion, I don't know, you know, septillion. They're all in there, but I don't know what that one is. That's a stupid number. You thought the debt was big. Think about that for just a moment. And, and, I, and I've used this illustration before, but once again, I'll give it to you. Because if we were to take a, a silver dollar today, and we just put an X on that baby, and we, we one silver dollar, and we throw it down in this room, and we fill this room full of silver dollars, one foot deep, you got one chance. To reach your hand and pull out that one silver dollar with the X on it. And you got a better chance of getting struck by lightning than that. Well, let's forget that. Let's go further. Let's, let's take that one silver dollar once again. And we're going to fill the city of Topeka one foot deep with silver dollars. We're going to throw that one in the middle of it. And we're going to say, you got one chance to pick that thing out of there. It's not looking so good, is it? Hope my life doesn't depend on this. Because the odds aren't good. Let's go further. Let's go to the state of Texas. Let's fill the state of Texas one foot deep, one silver dollar. We throw it in there. You better get the right time zone in that state. Right? right? I mean, think about it. you got one chance. Reach down get one silver dollar. That's what that number means. That's what it's like for one man to fulfill the 48 prophecies of the Old Testament in one lifetime. It's that number right there. It's like going to Texas, throwing down silver dollar, and reaching down and going, hmm, which county am I going to find this in? Which time zone am I going to find this in? Which city am I going to find this in? If you, you don't know anything about Texas, Texas is big. Jesus, fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies, the 48 major ones of the Old Testament in one lifetime, is that kind of number. And what I'm telling you is, I go back to those moments when things get tough, when things are hard, go back to what you know, go back to the reality that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he is real, that he's going to sustain you through everything. Look, the Christian, the follower of Christ, cannot be filled with fear. They must be filled with faith. The only way you get faith in your life is to remember who Jesus is, is to remember what he's done, to remember the power of his life, the power of the grave, all that stuff. This is the only way. And when difficulty comes, remember who Jesus is. Because if you remember who Jesus is, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right if Jesus is on the scene. 
And Jesus is on the scene because he's still alive. He is our Savior. He is our God. God didn't want there to be any doubt in our minds that his word is true. So he gave undeniable proof through historical evidence and biblical prophecy because he loves you and me and he wants us to trust him. He goes on in verse 13, Peter writes, your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings and so does Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with you all who are in Christ. Peter refers to the church in Rome as the church in Babylon, which we aren't completely sure why he does that other than we are fully aware that Babylon was the center of moral decline and the difficulty that Christ's followers were experiencing and were about to experience. But in verse 14, it's sort of tough to understand. It says, greet each other with a kiss of love. Now, I've got to tell you a story. Okay, those of you who know me know I'm sort of, um, I like my personal spice, like my bubble, all right? I mean, I, that little weird accent right there from New Jersey, that's kind of funny. That's, that's the time when the mouth was not functioning with the brain. I mean, this is one of those times. Okay, so I like my personal space, right? I, you know, and so it's kind of funny because I, Jim Lucero, anybody knows Jim Lucero? Jim, Jim cooks, and like this Sunday, he's probably over at, um, at Oakland Community. He goes to Mission Hill on, on Saturday nights, but, but goes over and cooks it at Oakland Community just about every Sunday. In fact, one week, now I shouldn't tell you this, but one week, because of some crazy deal they got with, with meat and stuff, they cooked steaks for all the people. They bought like hundreds of pounds of meat for $57. How that happened, I don't know. All I know is Jim was cooking steaks. So they could, Jim cooks all the time. Jim, Jim's just incredible. I mean, like he's cooked for some events around here, all of our campuses. And so I meet Jim's brother, Bill. And Bill's a great guy. He's a follower of Jesus, attends another church here in town. He attends Light of the World. And, and, and Bill will pop into Mission Hill years ago. He would just pop in there once in a while just to say hi. And one time, you know, he comes up and he greets me and he shakes my hand and, and he gave me $20. I'm like, Bill, you don't have to do that. He's like, no, 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 it's, you know. But, but another time when I met Bill and greeted Bill, he's like, hey, come here, come here. I'm like, okay, what, what? And he reaches over and he kisses me on my forehead. And I'm like, oh, what was that? I'm like, oh, buddy. He looked at me, didn't bat an eye. And I didn't really react that crazy, but I was taken back. He goes, Bible says greet each other with a holy kiss. I'm like, yes, but I wasn't ready for it. I'm like, I'm like, oh. Like, you know, just a hug throws me off once in a while, right? And then he kissed me on my forehead. Like, we have, we have had, he's not current, the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, uh, Tom Trask. He would, everyone he greeted, he would kiss. Like on a platform, like anyway, like, like, you know, general counsel, guest speaker comes up, he's just introduced some. Can you imagine me, like, with a ne- next missionary that comes, you ought to try this, right? No, I'm not doing it. Okay, just let's get this right. So, so introduce some, hey, thanks for coming. I'm like, not gonna happen. Except the problem is, 
It's in the scriptures. Now you can see why it was written one way earlier, and now it's written like this. Because people are like, uh-uh, I don't like that. So they change it. Now, I don't know, because culturally, like where I'm from, it was normal. I, don't, I know like with Angela, the first time we went to New Jersey with my, with my, because my grandmother's funeral was back in the 90s, back in like 1990s. And um, all my cousins, and this is never true when I was like little, right? But here I'm an adult, and I, like when I'm a little kid, they didn't do this. But when I go back there for this funeral and work at the funeral home and stuff, the, my cousins are coming up and they're like kissing me on the cheek. I'm like, what are you people doing to me? <laughs> this is weird. Okay, but there's a lot of Italian influence and stuff like that. And so, so culturally for me, it just wasn't normal. I struggled when Angela got married, and like I had to give her parents hugs every time we left. I'm like, I got tell you I love you? What? I'm not used to that. That's just not where I came from. But then it's in the scriptures, and you realize that the scriptures say greet each other with a kiss of love, and now everybody's going, oh man, this is going to be a weird altar call. (laughs) No, 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 no. We're not going there. But here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that our greeting ought to contain passion. Our greeting ought to contain love. Our interactions with people, when we greet them, <laughs> what is jelly handshake stuff, right? I mean, come on. Like, and not just, and not, and I know some people got physical problems. I'm not making fun. I'm just saying, like, like when we greet people, when they're followers of Jesus, there ought to be a connection there of love and compassion and grace. And when we meet people who are not followers of Jesus, our, our interaction with them ought to bring love and compassion and the, the grace of Jesus in that moment. There ought to be something there that is more than just, hi. Glad that's over. Okay, that, that, that should not be what we're doing. When Peter writes this, he, he didn't just go, oh, yeah, this is sort of in to mess people up in the 21st century. He did it because I think there's something here. And I'm not recommending you go around and kiss people. Gee, I'm not saying that. Please don't do it to me. Okay? The stress level of my life will just go through the roof. But, but what I'm saying is get passion into who you are and to what you're doing in your greeting. See, here was the deal. They knew their very survivals mattered because of the other believers. They knew that their, their ability to live through, their ability to, to, to have faith for the future mattered because their, their friends and relationships were so important that there was no other way they were going to make it through. And so Peter writes this to them saying, you know, greet each other with a kiss of love or as other versions call a holy kiss. And when you do that, I, I think what you're seeing is, look, look you're bringing the, the power and the love of Christ into a moment. And you're just saying, you matter to me. You matter to God. And that's a powerful moment. And that's something that every one of us ought to be doing. It's, it, for an introvert, it's brutal. Okay, for people who are introverted, just, just even saying hi to someone is hard. I understand. Like, my normal, my normal, like, makeup is introvert. Like, I know that sounds crazy because I, I've done what I do for so long, but, but man, if I was in a, a room with you guys, like in a class or whatever, I wouldn't say anything. If you knew me in college, I, you wouldn't know my name. You wouldn't even know I was able to talk because I wouldn't have. So just, 
naturally introverted. But that's not an excuse not to show the love of Christ to people around us as much as it works against us. And you're never going to be, you know, little Miss Tripp back there just opening the door and waving the people in. That may not be you, but we all got to get somewhere and show people value. And he finishes his letter with these words. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. Saying, may everything be right in your lives. Not the absence of conflict, not the absence of difficulty, but may everything be right in your life. May God help you in the midst of everything. May he bring his peace to you. And that's my prayer. That's Peter's prayer, and that's my prayer today. That everything will go right in your lives. According to what God wants it to be, I, I'm praying that God will make everything right in your world, that everything will go well for you, that, that his peace will be upon you. And in the midst of craziness, in the midst of the noise that's around us, that we'll have peace. What a testimony. When everything around us is screaming chaos, for the follower of Jesus to walk in the midst of it with peace. Christ followers missed an opportunity 16 years ago with Y2K. They could have lived that with peace. They could have lived that without fear. They could have had the peace of Christ ruling in their hearts and lives. So many didn't. It was a failure by the church. In the midst of what we live in today, don't let that failure be repeated. We as the people of God must walk out this life with peace in the midst of all kinds of calamity. In the midst of all kinds of noise, you and I must live with peace. That's what Peter is saying. And that's what Peter was saying throughout this whole letter. And that's why we chose to walk through this together during this time. Because I recognize that we, we're going to hear all kinds of things. follower of Jesus must just breathe and walk in obedience to Jesus and never be afraid. Perfect love casts out all fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. That's who God has called us to be. He has called us to live that in this culture at this time. And I'm asking you to ask the Lord for his help. That we will be different. That we will raise the banner of Jesus and the peace of Christ in our world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in all of our lives and what you've done in in, in the life of the church, and God, what you're doing in the neighborhoods around us, and God, we're just praying that, Lord, for all the things that, that have happened and all the things that we've, we've done, God, sowing seeds into people's lives, God, would there be a harvest in that? And Lord, I'm praying that, God, as we walk through this day, 
as we walk through this week, as we walk through this month, we will look to add value and encouragement into the lives of the people around us. People we know, people we don't know, God, that we would take the time and greet them and love them and care for them. And Lord, I pray that as followers of Jesus, that we would rise above the chaos of our world and the chaos of our land. And we will seek to bring the peace of Christ into every situation we find ourselves. God, that we would be reflective of Jesus himself. Lord, help us to imitate you, to follow you as we live out our lives in this world. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Lord, and thank you for breathing life our lives. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.